Welcome everyone to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Expert Series podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director of BCLT. And today we're talking about the USPTO and a few issues that the de- next director might want to look into quickly. Uh, two issues in particular were recently raised by Judge Newman, bias and appearance of bias, and the director reviewability of institution decisions. So both of these came up in a, in a wonderful dissent written by Judge Newman in the Mobility Works case. Uh, to talk about these issues today, we have two experts from Baker Botts, Sarah Gusky and Elliot Williams. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Good to be here, Wayne. So I want to talk about the, the bias issue first. Um, this case had a, had a really interesting section in the majority opinion about how P-type judges are bonused and how bias may or may not arise from those bonuses. So Elliot, I wanted to kick it to you first. You want to give a, a little background on how PTAB judges are, are paid and why somebody might perceive a bias? Yeah, this is definitely an interesting issue that comes out of, out of this, this opinion. And um, you know, here, the patent owner obtained some information through the Freedom of Information Act, although I think generally most practitioners knew this was how PTAB judges are paid. Um, but Essentially, the way they're evaluated, there are obviously several components that go into that, but one of one of them is sort of how many decisions they write. Um, and for PTAB judges, those come in a couple from a couple of different places. One is the institution decision, which I'm sure we'll talk more about uh, in this conversation, which is kind of the beginning of an of a PTAB trial proceeding, and it's the first the first step in deciding whether you know the petitioner has made enough of a showing that the patents may be invalid to sort of begin the trial. Uh, the second phase is in the final written decision, which is, of course, the decision that comes at the very end of the trial. Um, the third thing that PTAB judges can do, however, is to write decisions in ex parte appeals, which has nothing to do with um, these sort of IPRs and PTAB trials, but has to do with just regular prosecution coming up from the examiner core. Uh, and, and, and so in this particular case, what the petitioner noted is, the patent owner, I should say, noted is that you know because the PTAB judges are paid based on the number of decisions they write or that that goes into their bonus calculation, that they have an incentive to institute because they know that if they write the institution decision, they would then have the chance to get another you know, piece of work product out at the end of the process when they write the final written decision. So that, that essentially, is, is, as I understand it, was the argument um, that was being made with respect to this kind of financial bias. And so the, I think the key here I hear you pointing to is that it's on the front end not the back end that people were afraid of bias, that the PTAB judges would kick off this process basically to create more work for themselves on, on the final written decision. Yeah, and I think that was the theory that was being articulated here. Um, you know, and, I, and there's some, you know, you mentioned Judge Newman's dissent. There's some hint in her dissent that, you know, she thinks it's not, it's not just that, you know, the institution decision um, you know, is, is problematic because now the patent owner has to go through this you know, process that maybe they shouldn't have had to go through. But also that by writing the institution decision in this way that sort of grants institution, maybe there's then this intellectual inertia that's gonna carry the, the judge through to the end of the process where they then conclude, uh, what I said, the institution decision must be right. You know, this patent's invalid as opposed to actually giving fair consideration to the arguments made during the trial. Well, uh, the majority, two of the three judges didn't seem to think much about the, the bias issue. They didn't really give it a lot of analysis, you know, just kind of brushed it off and, and moved on. But Judge Newman really seemed to take exception to 
the lack of emphasis on it and the lack of intellectual debate about whether this should be considered. And I think one of the key things that she, she pointed out, it's not about actual bias. Nobody's accusing any particular judge of being biased, but it's all about perception of bias. And she pulls a, a quote out from the Supreme Court, uh, 1968 Commonwealth Codings case that, that really sums it up. And I was surprised the majority didn't at least respond. And that quote is, says, any tribunal permitted by law to try cases and controversies not only must be unbiased, but also must avoid even the appearance of bias. So, Sarah, the, this appearance of a bias issue comes up all the time in legal ethics and judicial ethics. Uh, with, with that in mind, you know, would litigators really expect the PTAB judges to pay heed to this appearance of impropriety or appearance of bias issue? Um, I, you know, I think possibly, and this ties into a debate that's been happening um, for a while in the context of PTAB trials, uh, and, and you saw it in, in oil states, of course, as well, about whether the um, patent law judges are, are judges or if they are performing some other function. So I think what Newman is saying here is if, if the PTAB judges and the PTAB are holding themselves out as, as um, adjudicating cases like a judge, why wouldn't the same standards that apply to an Article III judge also apply to these judges? And when you look at sort of the outcome of what happens in an inter-parties review proceeding uh, where it's going to determine whether the patent has a life going forward or not, it's the same type of things that judges are considering at the district court as well. So that appearance of bias should matter just as much at the PTAB as at the district court. Um, it, it's an interesting point of kind of turning the issue back on kind of the, the debate that's been working its way through the system for the last several years. No, it's, a, it's a great point that they call themselves judges, so maybe they should be held to the, the same standard we hold federal judges and state judges to, that it's not just about bias and getting the right result, but it's about generating confidence in the, the system and that the outcome would be at least decided by a fair process. Well, then I'm going to put you on the spot, Sarah. Do you think that as a, a formal matter, this appearance of impropriety should be applied to PTAB judges, maybe adopted into the rules? Um, I, I think that's not a, a bad idea. I think kind of dovetailing off of what you just suggested, um, you know, I think I, and I'm sure that the PTAB, uh, as it stands today, and this historically is, uh, has been formed, that they, they want to in, reinforce confidence in the system and the process that they're executing. So I think doing something to help demonstrate that they're, they're looking at and care about the appearance of bias uh, could be a helpful thing for, for the next director, for instance, to consider. Well, let's just build on that. And Elliot, I'll, I'll throw this one to you. The, the PTAB has faced a lot of criticism as being unfair to independent inventors and to, to small businesses. I mean, since its formation, it's been called in some circles, you know, a tool of, of big corporations to crush small companies. Now, the way that 
whether that's true or not, we're not here to debate, but obviously people feel that way. And there's a, a lot, large number of people that feel that way. This method of bonusing PTAB judges for instituting decisions seems to add to this feeling of injustice. If you read comments and, and what people are, are saying in, in a lot of different forums, do you have any thoughts on how the next director could maybe restore some of the confidence in the PTAB judges and maybe distance itself from any of the appearance of impropriety? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely an issue that the next director will want to look close closely at. Um, you know, the PTAB judge compensation question. Um, you know how we got. It's interesting. It's probably an interesting question. How we got to this point? Why are the judges being paid based on how many decisions they write? Is 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 you know we have to kind of acknowledge there's a reason that that's part of the formula. It's because we want to make sure that the judges are doing work, that they're you know keeping busy and not just sitting around, you know not getting the business of the office done. So you want to have an incentive to encourage the judges to take cases, write decisions, and and get them out the door. I think. Um, but in this case, I think that. You know the fact that we are essentially paying the judges um, in the, in this way, and that they know they essentially would get a, a freebie uh, a year later if they write a positive institution decision. It does it does look bad from the outside, and I, and I think the new directors take that into account and think about whether there's ways that this you know compensation structure could be rearranged so that there is still an emphasis on you know, quality decisions, which of course there already is. You know, uh, no one's talking about that part of the calculation. That's also certainly important. We don't want to lose sight of that. Um, you know, but perhaps there's other ways to encourage the judges to to keep busy and make sure the office's work is getting done without necessarily making it look to the outside like um, you know the deck is stacked against patent owners, which um, you know again statistically is not really borne out. But certainly there's a perception that's what's happening, and I think the director needs to look closely at whether that perception could be eliminated in a fairly easy way. I was reading one piece of commentary on this, and it really pushed this, this thought pattern or thought process to something slightly different. But imagine the outrage if a federal judge got a $1,000 bonus for every criminal trial that was held within a year. I mean, even if the judge's behavior wasn't changed, everything was perfectly fine, how fast would people lose faith in the system? Um, everything would be about that $1,000 bonus. And that's where I think Judge Newman leaves us with uh, the, the great quote about, there's no feeling so important to a popular government that justice has been done. Nothing about the PTAB or PTO yet suggests that they're considering their public reputation. So look forward to seeing what the next director does. But I do want to leave the the point that there was no accusation of actual bias. And that's that's not what anybody's talking about here. This is perception of bias. So with that, and Elliot, you gave us a little bit of, of hint at the other piece that Judge Newman was really looking at. And this is that holistic view that if you're incentivized to institute, well, that is kind of an anchor point for your thought process as you get to the final written decision. And she really goes after this, this idea that um, final written decisions are a natural, flow naturally from the, the institution. And that's another piece of, of perceived bias in the system. Um, this one's a little, it's been debated a lot. It seems a little bit harder to deal with because you'd have to change judges, the same judges at the, the front end or the same at the back end. 
you see any easy way for the next director to address that potential uh, impropriety or appearance of impropriety issue? Um, easy way, no. I mean, this this issue has, it, it obviously puts in, in very stark relief the kind of balance you have to have here between efficiency. We want these proceedings to go smoothly and quickly and, you know, once you've had a panel of judges look at the look at the petition and decide to institute, if we were to now change and put a different set of fact finders, um, you know, assign a different set of fact finders to the case, they, you know, now we've got a new panel that has to get up to speed and understand the issues. So we've kind of now doubled the amount of work on, on the office. So there is an, there's an efficiency loss in that. And the question is, is that, you know, is that efficiency loss sort of worth it in order to gain um, you know, the advantage of sort of unbiasing the, the ultimate fact finder. Um, and, you know, it's, this is a hard question. I don't think there's an easy answer. And, and you know, where the constitutional line is here is certainly not clear, but I guess in terms of kind of the broader question of what, you know, for, what do we want the public perception of the office to be? Um, and how much is that being taken to, into a consideration when making this decision? I think there's an argument to be made that, yeah, perhaps it would make sense to separate the function of institution decision from from the final written decision, you know, which, by the way, is how the statute is written, uh, as Judge Newman points out. So that, that, again, is probably something that should continue to be looked at within the office as to whether it makes sense to shuffle the work around a bit so that, you know, once there's an institution decision, a new set of judges can come in and look at the case. And I think a case could certainly be made that that, that, that could still be done in an efficient way and um, kind of promote the idea that you know, the patent owners are, and the petitioners are getting, um, you know, a fresh set of judges with new eyes to look at the case once the trial starts. Well, Judge Newman does a good job of pointing out that the investigation function and the adjudication functions are typically separated. But for efficiency reasons, the USPTO has combined those, uh, those two issues. But again, think about the outcry if we did that in the criminal system. Um, you know, we've we've made that decision in a lot of other places where outcomes are important to separate the two. And it's an interesting question for the new director to think about um, set, setting aside the constitutional issues, even if this setup is constitutional, what's good for the nation as a whole and what's good for promoting innovation and making people have faith in the, the system. If you believe some of the, the rhetoric out there Small inventors, the independent inventors, are so put off by the patent system, um, they're pulling pulling away. Now, whether that's the PTABs issue or the incredible cost of litigation, you know, there's all sorts of, of debates on that. So the last piece in, in Judge Newman's decision that I wanted to, to talk about, it's really her view on the extension of Arthrex. Um, it seemed you know, that maybe it was put in this decision in places it didn't belong, but it really does raise an interesting discussion. Setting aside the constitutional requirements and all of the legal requirements, what does the next director need to do about an extension of Arthrex back to the institution decision? So Elliot, I'll, I'll kick it off with you on this one. If you want to tell us basically how institution decisions are reviewed by the director now. So it's an interesting point. I mean, as I indicated, like this, you know, and, and as Judge Newman rightly points out, the statute gives the institution power to the director. And, you know, the rulemaking right after the AAA passed delegated that power to, to the PTAB. Um, so in practice, what's been happening? So, so, you know, whether there's a constitutional arthritis issue here is I, I think 
I don't think there is. And I don't know that Judge Newman says there is either, you know, for that reason, because this already is the director's power. Uh, he, he's just delegated it for the moment. In practice, how is that power being used within the office now? It's being used by uh, what's called the Presidential Opinion Panel. So uh, there's a standard operating procedure the PTAB published a number of years ago that created this Presidential Opinion Panel, which consists of the director, the commissioner of patents, and the chief PTAB judge. Um, and this panel reviews decisions, whether institution decisions or final written decisions for, um, you know, potentially to rehear them uh, when there's issues of importance to the office. Uh, and that panel has sometimes stepped in in the case of institution decisions and, and provided some additional guidance. Uh, and they do the same for final written decisions in the past. You know, since Arthrex, you know, now we have this new procedure for the director being able to review final written decisions by, by himself. Um, which is the thing the Supreme Court said he needed to have in order for the statute to be constitutional. Uh, and there's an argument that the direct, new director should be doing that as well for institution decisions. So perhaps this presidential opinion panel doesn't make as much sense anymore in a post-Arthrix world. Um, and some, addition, some you know, replacement procedures should be put in place to sort of handle reviews both of institution decisions and final written decisions you know, where director intervention would be, would be appropriate. Uh, of course, again, there'll be tough questions have to be asked because there's, you know, no way the director could actually review every decision that people will probably want to have reviewed. Um, and so there'll need to be, you know, some additional structure in place um, to review these decisions and make a decision about which ones are, you know, important enough to, to go up to that level of, of director review so that, you know, because I don't think anybody would want the you know, director of the patent office spending their time having to review each of these decisions, just like, you know, we don't want the Supreme Court having to actually hear arguments on every case people try to appeal to it. So, um, you know, my, my guess is this will be an issue that the new director will want to look at again and, and think about whether there's a, a new way we can restructure the review of institution decisions and final written decisions where, you know, the director has a little bit more control over both. So Sarah, I wanna take it over to the law of unintended consequences. And, you know, everything that the PTAB does seems to impact how trial lawyers are dealing with these cases, patent cases in district court. So if the new director puts in some kind of review process at the institution stage, how do you see trial lawyers reacting and what games do you see trial lawyers playing with this potential delay? Um, a, a few things, and it probably depends on which side of the V you're on in, a, in an underlying case. Um, I could... I could see a side perhaps looking at whether it's how they've set up the petition or even the preliminary response a little bit differently to try to, to generate issues that they think might be, you know, something that they could try to push up to director review. So, you know, there's some some things that, you know, again, have been sort of the source of a lot of debate since uh, the IPR process began um, about what sort of decision making should be happening um, at the PTAB and, and sort of procedural issues around it. And you, you can see potentially the, the, the thought of director reviewing at the institution decision driving sort of non-merits-based arguments uh, more into the early part of, of the decisions. Also, when you're looking at things from a, attempting to, to use an IPR as a reason to stay a district court case, which is a, a tool that 
defendants will often leverage um, with varying degrees of success, depending on what court they're in. If you add a new layer to the front end of the, the IPR system so that the institution decision isn't sort of the final word on things, you can see judges who are sort of on the fence about whether to stay a case upon institution or partial institution being even, maybe even less inclined to do so now if they're having to wait another number of months to get the director to sign off on an issue one way or the other, um, which is you know, gonna be a particular problem in the faster moving courts because a couple of months worth of time can be the equivalent of a lot of things happening in the district court. Well, it seems that Judge Newman raised several good issues the next director is gonna have to, to look at and maybe we'll see the opportunity to contribute through formal rulemaking to some of these rules uh, because they are they are complex issues they weren't things that were overlooked at the original AIA it seems that they're just issues that have matured over time and we're now now's the time to address them so thank you both for for joining us and I look forward to continuing this discussion